I'm taking us back into John's gospel. As I've looked at it, we can uh, kind of finish up in John's gospel right on time with the liturgical calendar as we move towards uh, Palm Sunday and and, uh, Easter. And uh, the text will be right in line if I manage to do it well. We'll see about that part. But uh, uh, I think it'll be a good place for us to be during this season as we prepare for Easter. Jesus is still talking uh, to his disciples here. He's teaching them. And he's taught about the Holy Spirit and and some other things in John 14 and 15 and and then at the beginning of 16. And then he begins again to prepare them uh, for his death. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Thanks be to God. Amen. A little while. A little while. Such a relative term. Think back to when you were a child and you came to your mom or your dad and you said, can we go outside and play? And your mom said, in a little while. Now, what did you think? You thought that meant immediately, right? I mean, at most you were gone a minute, but probably only a few seconds. And you came back and you said, has it been a little while, mom? Can we go out and play? Fast forward to now when you are a parent or a grandparent, and you tell your child or grandchild, in a, in a little while, let, let mommy rest for just a little while, and then we can go play. Well, you're thinking maybe an hour at least, or, or, or at the very least, you want a good 30-minute power nap, right? A little while is a relative term. Further, there's a huge difference between saying our company will be arrive in a little while and saying, hold your breath for a little while. If you've got 30 minutes until company arrives and you're tidying up and you're putting things away, that 30 minutes seems like only a matter of seconds. But if you're holding your breath for a little while, seconds feel like minutes, right? A little while is a relative term. And it varies based on our age. It varies based on the circumstances. It varies based on what you're doing. 
So when Jesus said, verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer, and again a little while and you will see me, the disciples quite naturally began to question, what are you, what are you talking about? Verse 17, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you'll not see me, and again in a little while you will see me. What does he mean by a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. And there are questions still regarding what Jesus meant by verse 17, a little while and you will, will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me. And what does he mean in verse 20? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Certainly, we understand in general that Jesus was talking about a time when, when he would not be there and they would be sorrowful. And then in a little while, there'd be a time when he'd be with them again and there would be joy. But what time frame is he referring to? And scholars and commentators are somewhat divided on this one. According to commentators like James Montgomery Boyce, there are at least three uh, interpretations of this text. First, it can refer to Jesus' death in the days uh, that he was in the grave for three days, and then he rose, and, and there was the resurrection. So there was a time when the people didn't see him, and they were sorrowful. Three days later, he rose, and they were joy-filled. It can also refer to the days before Pentecost when he was not seen and then the days after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given and the disciples could now see Jesus in a spiritual sense. And then finally, it may describe this age, this relatively short time compared to eternity in which you and I do not see Jesus with our physical eyes but after which, when the Lord returns in glory, we will see him face to face and we'll have all of earth's sorrows erased, transformed, if you will, into eternal joy. Personally, I see the possibility of all three. Let me try to explain. Certainly, the first is the most obvious interpretation. Simply because Jesus is speaking with the disciples just before his arrest and separation from them. When Jesus is arrested and crucified, they're going to go through great sorrow. And then following his resurrection, there's going to be great joy. But you got to think about this. In three years of living together, three years of living together, ministering together, in and out of the same houses together, traveling together, the disciples had grown uh, incredibly fond of Jesus. In fact, in their own way, they loved him. They Sure, they messed up, but they loved Jesus. And he had tried, and he was trying again to prepare them for what was ahead, but then his sudden arrest, his hasty trial and crucifixion would have plunged them into sorrow and into disillusionment. Uh, and there'd be multiple reasons for their sorrow. First, there would have been sorrow for their personal loss. When Jesus was crucified, even though he had tried to tell them about it, they would have naturally thought that he was gone forever. Their loss would have been the kind of loss you and I experience at death. There's a vacuum. There's an emptiness. There's a hole. There would have also been the sorrow of disappointment. 
disappointed in their case but because of their misconception about the Messiah and their sense that Jesus died with unfinished business. You may recall the resurrection encounter that the disciples had uh, with Jesus as they walked along the road to Emmaus. Remember the resurrected Jesus came along and was walking with them and, and there were two of the disciples there, but they didn't recognize Jesus. And when Jesus asked them what they had been discussing, well, they told him about the crucifixion. And they added Luke 24, verse 21, but we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. You, you see, their sorrow would have been great because in their minds, their hope for Jesus as the Messiah had been crushed. Uh, Thomas's sorrow was so great, he said, I, I won't even believe he's raised unless you show me his hands and I touch his hands and I touch his side. That's how disappointed Thomas was. Their sorrow was exponentially increased because of the world's callous attitude about Jesus. Jesus warned, verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You see, the disciples' sorrow was intensified because much of the world didn't grieve over Jesus' crucifixion. In fact, the religious leaders surely rejoiced that Jesus was out of their way, or so they thought. They surely rejoiced at the assumption that given a month or two, the masses would go back to work, they would forget about Jesus, and the disciples would disband in this upstart little revolution against their power and uh, institutional religion would end. It would be hard for the disciples during those days as they grieved and the religious leaders gloated. Their grief would have been personal. It would have been filled with disappointment. It would have been intensified by the rejoicing of these rulers. But Jesus said, verse 20 again, your sorrow will turn into joy. Glory be to God for the resurrection. It changes sorrow into joy. They would learn with the resurrection of Jesus that the very source of their sorrow, the cross, would become their great joy. They would learn that Jesus did not die a meaningless death. His death was for the atonement of their sins and the sins of the world. The cross was not a tragedy, but a triumph. The Apostle Paul would later say it very well in Galatians 6, 14. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a little while, just three days, the disciples' sorrow was turned into joy. But there's another possible interpretation. A little while you won't see me, and again a little while you will see me, could refer to the time before Pentecost and the time ever since Pentecost. Now, I find this one the most difficult to understand and the most difficult one to explain, but at least one pastor and commentator, John MacArthur, thinks this is the most accurate interpretation. I wouldn't go that far, but let me uh, try to explain it. In the first part of John, chapter 16, Jesus has told the disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he told them in verse 7 that it was actually to their advantage that he send the helper, the Holy Spirit. 
He also told them in verses 13 and 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he will speak. Uh, he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He's going to glorify me, Jesus, for he will take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. It is then immediately after this promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus speaks of being gone a little while and then coming to them. So Jesus may have been pointing to this time after his ascension when he went to heaven and he was gone. And again, there was sorrow. But then on the day of Pentecost, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, did come. And the Holy Spirit made Jesus visible, not physically, but spiritually. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can see the Lord revealed in Scriptures. We see Jesus as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We see Jesus as the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us in the way of truth. But I also think it's an appropriate interpretation or at least an application of what Jesus said, to think of our hope, our hope today. It seems to me that in the immediate context, Jesus was speaking of his death and then his resurrection, or maybe his ascension and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. But Scripture, though an ancient document, with immediate applications in the time in which it was written, it speaks to people of all ages, does it not? And one application for us is that though we now have sorrow, one day, in a little while, our sorrow will be turned into joy. You see, the Bible and Jesus are always realistic. They tell us clearly that there's going to be sorrow in this life. It cannot be avoided. If someone tells you that following Jesus means you never have sorrow, run away. They're not telling you the truth. Jesus was realistic. There will be sorrow in this life. It cannot be avoided. We have the benefit of knowing what the disciples did not initially know. We know Jesus was raised on the third day. We're promised over and over again that those who believe will be raised with him, raised from the dead. We're promised that he's coming again with a new heaven and a new earth. But death still brings sorrow to us all, does it not? In fact, like the disciples, we feel great personal loss. It hurts. There's a vacuum. There's a loss. One we've known and loved is no longer with us. There's disappointment. We thought we had more time. We had unfinished plans together. There were conversations we never got around to having. Further, though the world may not rejoice as they did at the death of Jesus, the world doesn't feel the loss and the disappointment the way we do. I mean, let's face it, pretty soon the world is back to its everyday activities. But we still grieve. Some parts of the world even mock our hope in the resurrection. 
Jesus in the Bible never denies those realities of sorrow. Jesus understands, and that's why he said very clearly, verse 20, you will weep and lament, you will be sorrowful. The first two, weeping and lamenting, are both audible. In fact, lament carries with it the notion of singing a funeral dirge, whereas sorrow is more inward. There may be outward manifestations like weeping and lamenting, but sorrow points to the pain of the body and soul, the ache that we cannot fully describe when we experience the loss of a loved one. Jesus is real about sorrow. He never denies it. And that's what makes his promise even more believable. Your sorrow, my sorrow, will be turned into joy. It will be like a woman who, when she has delivered her baby, no longer remembers the anguish. One day, verse 22, those who believe in Jesus will see him face to face, and no one, no one will take that joy away from us. And I know, beloved, I know that a little while, that time until the resurrection seems like a long time. I know that. I think of my mom who has lived 33 years without my father. A little while has seemed like a long time. I think of the second funeral I ever officiated at nearly 30 years ago. And it was the death of a 17-year-old girl. A little while has seemed like a very long time for that family. I think of every death I've experienced personally and those you have experienced and those that I've experienced with you at some level. And I know a little while seems like such a long time to suffer and grieve. I know it, beloved. But in a little while, whatever that time frame is, in a little while, a small time frame compared to eternity, in a little while, our sorrow and the sorrow of all who believe is going to be turned into joy. I won't pretend to understand your sorrow, nor can you understand mine. But during this little while when you endure sorrow, I want to remind you that Jesus does empathize with you. I want to remind you that he understands your sorrow much more than you know. Do you realize Jesus himself experienced this transformation of sorrow into joy? Isaiah 53 describes his sorrow. In fact, it describes him as a man of sorrow, beginning in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one with whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. But then listen to Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
the cross. The very thing that caused Jesus tremendous sorrow, tremendous agony, was turned into his joy. The miracle of the cross and the resurrection turned sorrow into joy, and it can do the same thing for you and for me. My friends, believe the good news. Believe the good news. That though you will have sorrow, though you may be experiencing it right now, if you believe, in a little while you will see Jesus and your hearts will rejoice. And no one and nothing is going to take your joy away. I love you, church. And I don't like what some of you have endured. But I want you to know Jesus loves you even more. Hang on. Hang in there. In a little while, in a little while, your sorrow will be turned into great joy. Pray with me, believing. Lord, you've reminded us again and again that you turn sorrow into joy. And so we ask that you remind us again today that though you were indeed a man of sorrows yourself, you endured the cross for the joy that was set before you. Lord, would you remind us that though now we weep and we lament, that life is at times filled with sorrow, remind us that in a little while, in a little while our joy will be complete and nothing or no one will be able to take away our great joy. Lord, would you comfort those who are sorrowful this very day And though this little while may seem like such a long time, show them that it won't be so long. And grant us all faith to hold on to you until that day when we see you face to face. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory, honor, and praise today and forevermore. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God bless you.